Hey guys, today on the podcast, I have a good friend, Jamila Page, joining us. And Jamila is a pastor at Bethel Church in Redding, California, and I decided to have her on to talk about the topic of belonging. It's such an important topic as it's such a human core need. And Jamila, through the power of story, tells, um, explains belonging in such a powerful way. So I was so excited to have her join and for you guys to hear her. We'll be talking about diversity, we'll be talking about self-acceptance, what that means, and we will be unpacking what it looks like to move away from dehumanizing people and making generalizations around people. So hope you enjoy today's episode. Feel free to download and subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. Jamila, it's such an honor to have you on my podcast today. Thank you for coming. Um... I would love you to share just a bit about who you are um, to our audience today. Well, first, thank you for having me. I always love being with you. Um, but like you said, my name is Jamila. I am a wife and a mom. We have four kids, uh, two who are already grown. Our son, Drew, is married. Our oh. daughter, Jasmine. Yeah, right. Our daughter, Jasmine. You don't look old enough. <laughs> you don't look old enough. <laughs> Um, but Jasmine lives in Houston. And um, so we just have the two youngest at home. Our jo- uh, Joy is 19. Mm-hmm. And then Rachel is 16. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's amazing. My husband's rich. That's his name. And I, I know. I was like, oh, good to know. <laughs> I'm rich. No, no. Uh, my husband's <laughs> name is Rich. And um, yeah, we've been married 20 years. And uh, we live now in Redding, Redding, California. Yes, yes, we live in the same town. I love that. And um, just for our audience, I had Jamila come to speak at the university. I work at Bethel Conservatory of the Arts, and um, she was. It was so impactful for our students that it's uh, it, people still to this day talk about when Jamila came to speak, and she is an amazing singer. So she brought out Whitney Houston and she had the crowd captivated. So, so excited to have you on. Um, And we're going to be talking about belonging. um, And it's such a uh, abstract concept. So hopefully through story today, we can, we can, um, yeah, uh, unpack what belonging actually is. Um, And I'm going to start with Um, one of my favorite quotes by the incredible Maya Angelou. You are only free when you realize you belong no place. You belong every place, no place at all. The price is high. The reward is great. What the heck does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, first of all, Dr. Maya Angelou, my goodness, she is my favorite author. Um, but, But when I think about it, I mean, to look at me, you would think you know where I belong. And we we tend yeah. to want to put people where they belong, whether it be by gender or by race or uh, by faith or by uh, uh, occupation. Um, so to look at me, you would say, oh, that's a, a beautiful Black woman. She lives in America. She must be African-American. Yeah. Um, but therein lies the rub because I'm first-generation American. My parents are from Panama, which is a Central American nation where Spanish is the first language. 
and the culture is a mishmash of like Caribbean and um, Spanish and um, uh, just everything you would imagine about South or Central America is Panama, right? Mm. And and it literally is like a, a, a global um, connector point. It's the, the, the most narrow strip of land between um, um, North and South America. It connects, it's the closest point that the Atlantic and the Pacific can meet. Yeah. And they have the Panama Canal. Yeah. So 1600 points of the earth are connected through Panama oh, wow. to make global commerce possible. Right? Wow. So yeah, so everybody, you know, kind of has gathered there and, and cultures have kind of melded into each other and you get someone that looks like me, black, but Latina, mm. but also Caribbean, you know? Mm-hmm. And so my parents came here. Yeah. They moved to New York city from Panama and they just, they started really from the bottom. My, my father had an eighth grade education um, and, yeah. and not a great one at that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he spoke Spanish, came coming here and he, within two weeks, like just, started doing every odd job he could find as a mechanic, as a handy person. Um, And then fast forward a few years and he's, you know, a landlord running different nightclubs and doing all kinds of things. So belonging, right? Where where do I belong? Yes. (laughs) What group would you put me in? Yeah. And I I can imagine that would feel really disorientating and yeah, who were you looking to to decide where you belong, do you think? So, yeah, by the time I came around, we were living in Miami. Mm. Um, and all we had was each other. As an immigrant family in America, you do center around the, the community that you come from. Um, and so we had a lot of time with aunts and uncles and so my, my, while my surroundings was uh, America in terms of school and in terms of life, um, as far as my purview, my, my actual upbringing was very Panamanian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I looked to my parents. How is my mother navigating the world? Yeah. You know, how is my aunt navigating the world? And yeah. they were, my aunt was a nurse. My mother worked in healthcare administration. Um, and they did a lot of switching, a lot of, in this type of setting, you behave this way. In this type of setting, you behave that way because wow. safety mm-hmm. uh, or success or getting ahead required that you look like different people given the context. Yeah. And I, I get, yeah, that makes sense. And I guess of like, uh, especially when you're a peacekeeper, Yes. Or growing up in an environment where it feels chaotic and a little unsafe emotionally, maybe you're kind of hyper vigilant, like looking of who do you need me to be in the room? Right. You know? And Brene Brown talks about like the opposite of belonging is fitting in. Oh, yeah. Did you reach a point in your journey where because it sounds like, and this is a strong thing to say, but it sounds like self-abandonment, like not really connecting to yourself. You're looking at external to find your place in the world. Did you have a moment where it kind of felt like 
who am I? Or did you recognize the disconnection at all? I didn't recognize it until I was probably about eight years old. Um, wow. It's when I became very aware of my difference in school. Yeah. Um, my parents, again, you know, as immigrants, they are looking to set us up for the greatest life possible. Mm -hmm. you know, life in America yes. is attached to a dream. Yes. <laughs> that you can have anything you want, you can be anything you want, but for the immigrant, um, while that still can be kind of true, yeah. you don't realize what you have to give up in order to get into the spaces that equal success, right? Yes. Yeah. So for me, it was my parents instilling in us at a very young age, you're going to speak English properly. Mm -hmm. You're going to behave in a way that makes you, you know, um, attractive for opportunity, attractive for promotion. So, I mean, and how do you do that to a child except that when they say a word wrong, you correct them immediately. Mm -hmm. When they're being, you know, I, I can remember when I was um, just talking and, and my mother would overhear a conversation and she would say, oh no, in this house, we're gonna speak proper English. Mm. And so take that kind of correction from home where you, you, cannot, you cannot be yourself here right? Wow. So you go into school and you're realizing the you that's being shaped looks a certain way at school. Well, mm -hmm. for me in Miami, which is so multiculturally diverse, um, you had people who were from every nation, literally almost. Um, you had Jamaicans and Haitians and you had um, African-Americans. And while they all look black, they all have a cultural context that's very different. Um, yeah. Same thing with Latinos, you had the Cubans and the Puerto Ricans, mm -hmm. um, but we were Panamanians, you know. Yes. So who do I most sound like was mm -hmm. kind of the um, filter that I looked at everyone through. Well, yeah. those must be the people I belong to. And I had no filter for anything else. I'm, I sound like, I look like, I eat like them. That's where I belong. And it was it was predominantly a Latino and, and white community yeah. that I found my friendships through and, and felt the most at home in. Mm. Um, and so growing up um, in that kind of context, I would, I would see that there were a group of students like um, that felt more, of course, I'm not, I'm not blind. I can see color, but I didn't know that it was a thing. Yeah. And so, you know, just, just realizing over time, I was probably eight before I realized about, you know, that there was a difference in the races and that I was being perceived outside of my own self perception. Yeah. Right. Yes. My perception is I belong here, but everybody yeah. else's perception is no, 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 you belong over there. <laughs> wow. Um, so then who gets to decide where belonging starts is it is wow. it my self-perception that says that I yeah. hope I'm making sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's an, it, yes, I love that question. Who does get to decide where you belong? And I think you're encountering the first time where you're, you're something outside is defining where you should go. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so I sound one way and the foods that these ones describe sounds more like where I fit. Yeah. But at the same time, there feels to me like there's another group that they think I belong to that 
that the, the, the Latinos don't hear enough Spanish from me. So then I, I'm, yes. I'm not sure why I don't fit, but they don't think I fit. And then I see the black students and it's like, there, there's this assumption that that's where I really belong. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. why would you think that? Because I don't think that, you know? Yeah. You know, my mother that had to tell me, she said, mm -hmm. you know, you're black, right? Mm. A little second grade, eight-year-old girl. Yeah. Having this news brought, it's like, oh, snap. Well, at school, when I hear African-Americans talk about what they eat or what they drink or how they celebrate the holidays, and it's so vastly different from yeah. how my family celebrates. And I'm like, we can't be African-American. Yeah. But, but then the Spanish also don't treat us like we fit. So I would sit in the middle and really would shapeshift. Mm, yeah. Based on the context I found myself. And, and as a, as a woman now, I'm 43. Mm -hmm. As a woman now, I'm like, oh, th this was the example that my family set for me. And yes. while it was at the time, the best example they could set because of they were course. providing life for us. Yes. It wasn't the best example for me finding peace and inner acceptance. Yeah. yeah. So I love how you say that because I think where everyone is on a journey to find peace within themselves. And um, so when you hear that quote of we belong everywhere, but nowhere, like, what, how can we find peace in that? Because she's basically saying that there's a freedom that comes when we decide that we belong everywhere, but nowhere, but everywhere. <laughs> because, because there's something that comes with belonging. That's almost like, well, if you belong to me, then you can belong to no one else. Mm. Right. So if, so say, you know, you're an Australian living in, in uh, America. Yes. So imagine your Australian nation saying, well, if you live in America, you can't belong to us anymore. Oh, so I would feel so rejected. <laughs> right. But yeah. We do do that to a level in society. Yeah. And it's so prevalent right now. Right? Yes. You can't have any degree of nuance or separation or there's this uh, accusation that, yeah. yeah, you might agree with me 90%, but that 10% means you're an imposter. Mm. what are you talking about <laughs> you know? yeah so I'm, I'm saying like um I I almost got into like fights because when when African-American students would say well we ate collard greens and we had chicken and we had da 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 and I'm thinking no we had arroz con gandules and platanos it's you know rice with beans and plantains they're like what is that and I'm saying to them well, what is that well because of that one little thing you can't possibly be with us. Okay, well then let me go over to the Hispanics who do understand what that is, but you don't have the same type of hair or you don't have the same type of, you know, um, skin or so you can't quite be with us or you don't even have fully acquired Spanish language. So you can't quite be with us. So I'm stuck in the middle. Okay, well, when I'm with the Hispanics, I'm going to do the best I can to be as Latin as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's what she means. Like you belong everywhere and nowhere. Like no one gets to decide how mm -hmm. much of you yeah. will be acceptable. I think yeah. when we get to the place where I will not renounce any of my blackness, I will not renounce any of my Latino. Yes. 
side, I will be fully activated in both at all times. Yeah. Yeah. What I think she means by you belong everywhere, but nowhere. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm going to take back my um, authority in determining acceptance. I'm going to first accept self. Wow. I'm going to first accept all of self Mm. so that when I step into a room, most people are like, she's so grounded. And wow, you're so comfortable with who you are. Yes, that's acceptance. Yeah. Wow. So I can imagine like, as you're saying that, because we really belong to ourselves, And if we're part of faith, we belong to Jesus. If that's, if that's, you know, your story and that's a whole, it's, that's a whole thing to be adopted into Christ. Um, And what, when you say self-acceptance, I can imagine there is a rubbing moment or a friction where you can feel someone rejecting in you and you move in the opposite space. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have any moments where that self-acceptance kind of, there was a rumble happening? in there. And I think we all go through it, you know, um, where I've had, when I was little, I would have people saying like, um, why you talk like that? Mm. Why you talk? I I mean, this is just, this is a common vernacular in Miami where I grew up. It was, you talk white. Mm. And so I would go home and I would say, they said I talk white. Why do they talk about it like that? And my mother would say, no, you don't. You speak proper English. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know where, where I'm supposed to like put more weight on what yeah. my mother said or on what I'm being met with whenever I'm out in public. Mm. And so um, I thankfully leaned on speaking proper English. That's what got yeah. me the A's in school. So, you know, so right. ultimately there was a point where, yes, there's this rub. But Mm -hmm. I get, you know, I get to choose based on, and I I chose anyway, based on where I found the most safety, the most success. I loved reading. I loved speaking. I loved school. So, okay, if this is, if this is what proper is, then that's what I'll do. But more personally, um, Mm -hmm. I feel like I found it honestly, when I did find faith, Mm. Um, I remember my father who never went to church one morning on a Sunday, he would, he was up, he was getting dressed. We went to a church we'd never been to before. And it was very different than the church my mother used to take us to. The the church my mother took us to was an Episcopal church. Mm -hmm. And it was very like formal and um, everything was um, proper and needed to be done in a specific way because it was all holy, right? Mm. Um, in their context of holy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you couldn't sing unless they were singing. You couldn't, sh- you couldn't even say like, amen. Even if you sneezed, you kind of felt bad because you were disrupting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so this particular Sunday morning though, daddy said, somebody told me about a church. I want to go see what it's about. So we went to this missionary Baptist church and we walk in and they were, it was this beautifully vibrant African-American congregation. Mm. And there was the singing that was 
boisterous and, and jubilant. There was clapping and rocking and a beat. And I'm thinking, wow, like you're allowed to have fun in church. You know? mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's what my family was like at home, you know, yeah. listening to salsa and merengue and yeah. the, the beats were very Afro um, centric and, um, and it sounded almost similar in this church. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then we get to um, the message and it was something I could grab. I was 12 and I'm like, they're talking about Jesus. Like I could be his friend. I could, I could, I could have a a different Mm -hmm. kind of relationship than the one at the Episcopal church where I had to fear him and he was a ruler. Right. Um, yeah. Both a ruler that dictates and a ruler that measures, right? Yeah. And so, so we get to this this um, end of the service, which I then was so like just all enthralled. And the reverend he said, um, "I'm going to open up the altar for anyone who wants to have a relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to be your friend. He wants to talk to you like you talk to your friends." And I thought, that's really cool. And I, I didn't even get a chance to like blink and out of the corner of my eye, my dad takes off down the aisle to go. And now I know it's, you know, he's going to accept Christ. But at that point, I'm like, what is he doing? Well, if he's going, I'm going, I want to be Jesus's friend. Wow. And it opened up a news, like, I, I don't even think that I have language um, that would be adequate yeah I'll try (laughs) yeah if if God of the universe who like I said was the dictator the ruler the standard wants to be my friend yeah (laughs) well I want that and that must mean something Mm -hmm. special about me it -hmm. must mean that at my being at my core 12 years old I understood this yes at my core that must mean I'm something special yeah yeah. And from that day, it was it was a different kind of living, thinking mm-hmm. of God more from that perspective. You are yes. a friend from me. Yeah. As opposed to the friends that I had where I had to look like them in order to be friends with them. Yeah. 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 It was amazing to have that kind of um, encounter experience mm. um, with something that felt untouchable before. Yes. Yeah. And so that was the beginning of my looking inward. Yes. For acceptance mm-hmm. and realizing that there was something valuable and special there to be yeah. connected to. Yeah. I think because we're so circumstantially driven and our mm-hmm. circumstances so drive something internal and we're looking for evidence of how, what does this say about me all the time? Yeah. And we do that because we need to survive. We do that because we want to feel safe. And so there's no shame in that. But I love in that story, you're talking about flipping the switch. Like you're you're talking about, oh, my starting place now gets to come internally. Right. And, it, and, it's, and it's going to be an internal secret place, my internal world. And now I'm going to approach the world from that full place so I can belong anywhere and nowhere and you don't get to define me. That's right. really empowering. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it's a journey, right? So mm-hmm. 12 years old, having this experience, um, yeah. starting to talk to God, 
Um, yeah. I don't know, you know, if you know the book, uh, Dear God, It's Me, Margaret, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just him becoming personal and it yeah. being the kind of relationship that you do. You have to go inward in order to pray. Yes, you do. Right? He's in there. He's not out there. Um, although there is like the propensity in communities of faith to put on put up a standard and say meet this in order to belong here yeah um I'm grateful for my starting point that that was truly internal he's mm-hmm. in here mm-hmm. that's the starting place you know yeah 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 it's so interesting because this trickles into everywhere like in in Melbourne like uh, we don't have as much as the Latino community, but we have Greeks and Italians and Asians and we have Sudanese, we have Aboriginals. So um, and I get really excited talking about this because I just love opening up the conversation of seeing things differently. And I think that's what you did when you came and spoke at our school, because it was really about a celebration of yeah self and each other and and I think the more you learn yourself and I love that you're defining yourself from through a different lens or having like Jesus define you Mm -hmm. and even what jumped out at me in that story is that Jamila is special and which is connected to worthiness um so you went from feeling confused like who am I in this world to now I'm special? How does that play a part in belonging? Like connecting to that inner significance, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm made in, so, you know, my, my faith teaches me, I'm made in the image of the divine himself, of God himself. Yes. That that is the significance. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I am wrapped in, I'm yeah. wrapped around. Mm-hmm. And so to me, if, if that's true and we all derive from that, then that string is what connects us. Mm. And therefore there is no one that I would encounter that, that doesn't have something to which I am unified. Yeah, I'm unified with the God that's in you. Mm-hmm. unified mm-hmm. with the God that is found in any other living being, mm-hmm. human living being mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. The Bible teaches us that we are um, his breath incarnate. Mm-hmm. We are housed, our, our soul, our being is the, a part of God, our, our, our makeup, our soul. Um, I'm trying to give it language. So mm-hmm. many people have language for it, but, but yeah. if I'll be authentic to my, to the way I call mm-hmm. it, my spirit is the part of me that is God's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he put flesh on top of it. And yeah. he said, we're going to form man in this image and likeness that is ours, mm-hmm. in his own. Mm-hmm. And so in some way, my being black, my being Latina, my being mm-hmm. female speaks to an aspect of who God is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so your judgment of that mm-hmm. doesn't, sh- does, well, first of all, it certainly doesn't change me. Yeah. Yeah. Because you didn't form it or create it and you, you can't reform it. 
mm-hmm. it came from the creator himself. Therefore, man, it's a, a, a source of, dare I say, pride. Yeah. Yeah. I this way. I yeah. This way. And this way is God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was made so to powerful. look like him. And Ella, yeah. you were made to look like him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my friends that are from Asia, Asian descent or from Native American descent or from um, visibly Hispanic descent, they are all formed with an aspect of God. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is reflected back to me. And I can say, wow, God in Ella is, wow, he's yeah. gorgeous. Yes. God in my husband, Rich, he is magnificent. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he was intentional in every other aspect of creation. Mm-hmm. So why would that not include the way we were formed? Yes. Yes. It's such a great st- starting place. Cause even as we're talking about belonging and you're sharing that, I know for me areas where I felt like I haven't belonged, uh, whether it's like, um, the cool group growing up in school or even it's funny because as you're talking, I'm like, I've lived in America nearly eight years and part of my accent has changed. And I think because, I mean, it's getting more Australian as I'm back here, but (laughs) I, and because I actually experienced a lot of pain being in Australia and always wanted to get to America. So a part of me did, if I'm honest, abandon some of my Australian culture. Mm -hmm. Um, or there was judgment of like, ugh, Aussies are like this. Um, and I, and I, and it's funny, even coming back after being in America for so long, I've noticed like, oh, what if I actually celebrated this part of me? And I think a lot of us are just not really move we're not really moving through the earth thinking about this so much but yet we're so looking for where we belong and I think that I love that you're bringing back the focus to being like I'm made in God's image and that is the starting place that I work from and approach the world rather than like am I skinny enough am I pretty enough like with beauty standards or am I white enough black enough um, Asian enough, whatever it is like, um, yeah. And so I, and it's so it, because I work with storytellers and, and movie makers and, and how do you feel like, um, Hollywood entertainment industry has kind of influenced the way that we see ourselves and what's celebrated and what's seen as good in our society? Oh yeah. I mean, there is a global standard that is not very, or let me say, let me say it in the affirmative. It is becoming more multi. It is becoming, it is becoming more. It's very exciting. Yes. But it had for a very long time been set by one specific type of um, person. Yes. And so, and honestly, you know, um, I don't mean to marginalize, but it was Mm -hmm. very Eurocentric. Yeah. Right? Yes. So you had to have fair skin, your hair mm-hmm. had to be light in color. And I know it has its, it's had its iterations, right, throughout yes. history. At one point, you had to have porcelain white skin so that mm-hmm. it didn't look like you slaved away in the fields. Yes. But then once we started realizing how nice the beaches were, it was good to have tan skin to show <laughs> that you could afford lives of leisure. You yes, know? <laughs> totally. Um, 
<laughs> I think we're still in that kind of. I think so. <laughs> but 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 let's talk about it in a wider spectrum. Then uh, widen the spectrum a little bit. Then you had to be of a certain um, body build. You had to mm-hmm. be slender. Not a mm-hmm. lot of curvature. Yes. Um, your clothes had to um, kind of hang off of you, mm-hmm. and uh, you had to. Um, you couldn't wear bright, bold colors. I mean, I've started to become a lot more intentional about that. Yeah. In Reading, um, I, I know your yeah. viewers probably wouldn't know that Reading is not a very uh, culturally diverse place. No. It is predominantly white American, and it's been a small city for a very long time in the mm-hmm. mountains of Northern California. And so yeah. even moving here, the, the, the question we, Rich and I got asked, both being Black people, um, was, uh, are you going to be okay there? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and once we got over that question, we came here and there was a uniform. And the uniform was very like, you know, uh, blue collar, laid back. You don't, you don't have to be fussy with jewelry and that sort of thing. But I like that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I love color. You look at any of um, people of color, especially in the Black diaspora around the world, mm. and the the vibrancy of color in our yes. traditional wear, even in Panama, the mm-hmm. colors, the, the, the use of, of gold. Um, we have a, um, a folk uh, dress mm-hmm. that's called a pollera. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you adorn your head with a crown of like beautiful gold and pearls and crystals, and they call it tembleques. And yeah. the way you wear it would determine who you were in society or was mm-hmm. a tell of who you were in society. Yes. So a single young woman, an uh, older married woman, they wear different types of tembleques. Yeah. Right? Um, and there was honor given for each stage of life of that woman's, you know, mm-hmm. um, journey. And, and so same thing with the men, they would wear a certain type of uh, dress shirt and the different embroidery would tell the story of where they were in society. Wow. And so, but you come to the United States. Now that's the formal wear. That's like the mm-hmm. tuxedo of Panama. Mm. So you come to the United States and say you were going to a black tie event, a Panamanian would wear that and it's very colorful and vibrant and beautiful. Mm. But in America, it'd be like, what is she wearing? I, I even wore something recently and the comment that I got, I felt beautiful in it. I know I was beautiful in it, but the comment that I got was like, oh, don't you look fun? <laughs> Which I don't know what that means. but I don't know what that means either. A tinge of patronizing or something. I don't know what you mean by that, but I'm going to say thank you, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But but in my mind, I'm I'm saying, I'm describing all of that to say that that beauty, the standard of beauty is different. And if it's looked for outside of the norms, I feel like we would be so much more... um, accepting and welcoming of all yes. different forms of yes. beauty, the heavy set beauty, the slender beauty, the short beauty, the tall beauty. Mm-hmm. But, but for a long time, I think Hollywood has lent itself to yes. being very narrowly focused on one aspect of beauty mm-hmm. and yes. miss out on all the, the richness that's available throughout the world. 
Yeah. And it's very, you're, it's so, it's such a small window of people that then you, the rest of society feels rejected from this standard. And I, I, I've gone on that journey myself because I've felt like, especially cause I'm curvy and I, I grew up in the um, Cape Moss era where you have to be wafy thin and um, even, it wasn't even healthy for models then. It wasn't no. Moss, you know. Yes, it wasn't. And and now I think I have gone on a journey of reframing my beauty story because mm-hmm. I would even notice like, and we can do this in beauty, we can do this in any kind of context around belonging, but it's yeah, I would notice myself because I made a I partnered with that judgment that society created and even family belief systems and, and whatever, because I partnered with that judgment, then I judged, well, that person's carrying a bit of weight, this, and that's how I saw the lens of the world. But as soon as I started like breaking off judgment and reframing, like how I can celebrate myself and how I can see the beauty in individuals, like, I've found more evidence for it. And that's the beautiful thing about Hollywood. It is celebrating different sizes and different um, ethnicities and, and really celebrating different stories. Yes. So, yeah. And cause I life coach different clients and I had a, um, she is African-American. Um, she would, she's an actress and she's like, I'm looking at all the roles but they don't tell my story. I actually mm-hmm. came from privilege, but mm-hmm. they're telling stories of like, Down like she's out. like Harvard educated, very, and parents are very like successful. And yet she's having to play these roles that there is kind of even just a narrative of, that's not fully capturing the nuances of people's lives. Like we're making these general statements around people. So the hope for this podcast is that we can move away from generalizing um, and learning how to celebrate. So how do we, how do we celebrate diversity? Like how, how do we start creating belonging? Like as we're changing our starting place of how we approach belonging, like what does that look like to start creating culture around that? Well, I think we talk about these things, but from the place of remembering we are human, Mm -hmm. all of us. Yes. So as a human, there are basic things we care about. Like our, once our basic needs are met, we've eaten, we have shelter, we have, you know, a sense of belonging somewhere. Yes. (laughs) Starting point. Um, mm. th- then you would have dreams. So yeah. instead of coming to you and saying, well, okay, so Ella's from Australia, that must mean me making assumptions about mm-hmm. that. Well, Ella's a human. I wonder what her dreams are. Right. I wonder where um, she gets the most excited excited um, to spend her time or what type of creativity just oozes from her when she is most comfortable and knows she's believed in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think we begin to relate to each other and realize that while the answers will look different, the questions can be the same. Yes. Yes. So I, I, I mean, what I mean by that is 
coming into an environment where I am one of the first and only, like I'm the first black female pastor mm-hmm. in um, RGP, revival mm-hmm. group, very specific mm-hmm. thing to our school, but I'm, yeah. I'm the first one. And so I noticed the difference between being treated like a resource yes. versus treated like a colleague or a person. Mm-hmm. So I came in at the height of here in the U.S. a lot of turmoil around racial tensions and yes. political tensions. Mm-hmm. And so the questions I got asked were centered around those topics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm a wife and I'm a mom. Yeah. And I'm a you. I'm a, an American. I yeah. I care about finding community. I care about going to the mm-hmm. lake, having a day off. I have a favorite color. I yeah. like certain types of foods, you know. Um, I like to travel. Like, we just need to talk to each other and first start from the place of, I'm talking to another human. I care about, they care about. Yeah. Not in the identical, specific, not in a specificity. Yeah. That, that means, like, you have to like strawberry lemonade. Yeah. But maybe you like LaCroix. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The bottom line is as a human, you like something to drink. Yes. Yes. And yes. I know I'm oversimplifying it, but yeah. I feel like we've lost the beauty of being mm-hmm. humane to everyone. Yes. Yes. And not asserting our idea based on what we see in front of us. Mm. So, so what I mean by that is asserting that, okay, as um let me just say if you didn't open your mouth ella mm-hmm. me being from the united states i'd be like oh she's a white american yeah right okay so if i saw you in church mm-hmm. in the united states i would think i know your political party mm-hmm. do you see all the assumptions i'm making yeah and internally responding to without even speaking to you yeah I'm othering you in my mind. Wow. And mm-hmm. I don't even know you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but if we sat down and took five minutes, hey, tell me about yourself. You'd open your mouth and you'd, your accent would tell me, oh, she's from another country. Like, where yeah. are you from? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like an othering question too. Yeah. Although most of the time when we, when we ask it, it's a curious yes uh, totally you want to oh where are you from and in the united states you have an if you have a european australian new zealand Mm -hmm. um those types of accents we're intrigued like yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah in my family you know if i just talk like this people will want to know where i'm from because Mm -hmm. this is all my people just talk when they learn english Mm -hmm. right so we have we have a a a a dialect and it's rich it's beautiful um, and, and, and it's, it's a unifier that, mm-hmm. that if we realize, well, your, your use of language, your expression of language is just as human as mine. I yeah. want to understand it. Yes. Yes. I want to ask about it. I want to experience it mm-hmm. but from a place of, of using it as a connector, as a bridge, yeah. as opposed to judging it and saying it's different from mine. It has to change. Yes. Yes. You're talking about curiosity, which is one of my favorite words. And um, especially 
because I'm a life coach, I help people process through their emotions and their pain. And often when someone is on a level 10 pain, they've usually villainized the other person. And I do it. (laughs) And I have to go, whoa, I've made this person a villain. I need to pull like, or I'm the villain. Like it's Mm -hmm. one of us is a villain. And just if you could share with the audience, like what you've seen dehumanization, like what does that look like? We, we talked about making people human and um, what does dehumanizing someone actually look like? Well, when they become a party, those yeah. Republicans, those yep. Democrats, um, those uh, unitary, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, um, or those feminists Mm. or those misogynists yes anytime you want to put those in front of a word that would describe another human that's that's the disengaging of their humanity yes that once you're able to make that leap and Brene Brown talks about this as well once you're able to make that leap there's so many things that are now possible that you would never even think of as a loving upstanding, um, um, law-abiding citizen, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right, of your nation or a member of your community or a pillar in your family. You would never think of those things, but it's justified because they're those fill-in-the-blanks. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looking at, like, um, what we're seeing more recently, we, we've started to have that language invade every every aspect of society those vaxxers those yes um, I mean I I mean I could list it non-vaxxers the yeah 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 Mm -hmm. you know but very simply very very simply we I I feel that I'm called to be a disruptor in that way yes and in in making the internal decision again because acceptance starts from how I was formed spiritually Mm -hmm. and um, ultimately being connected to God Mm -hmm. in that innermost place. Mm. I cannot separate from any other person that same starting point. Yeah. I can't look at you and say, because you think this way, you have no divinity inside. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, 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 Doing um, the last two years in the United States, we had the major upheaval around um, George Floyd's very public Mm -hmm. um, death. Mm -hmm. And it quickly became two sides against one another and they were not humans to each other. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm being very vague on purpose because I've made a personal commitment to not to not uh, label and dehumanize. Yes. You get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that in and of itself was the journey for me because mm-hmm. I did watch a man who was an American citizen not be given our nation's commitment to due process, not being given the right to going through the proper uh, process from 
being arrested to having a trial to having a, a, a jury of his peers decide his fate, mm -hmm. right? And finding out that the offense was not worth his life. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think everyone agreed on that. Mm. Everyone agreed on that. Mm -hmm. And then enter in all of the ways that we dehumanize. Then he became a black man. And then the police officer became a white man. And, and then yes. it became a larger conversation. And yeah. it got uh, more and more violent and full of vitriol and anger. And the swell reached across the globe. Yeah. You were yeah. either on one side or. Yes. Yeah. There yeah. was no nuance allowed. Mm -hmm. But anytime I, I would sit down and try to get to the place inside of me, where do I think we are? Because I, I can't say that I had the language I'm using with you today then. Right. I hadn't done the work to get me to today, right? Right, because it's such a rumble. Yeah. So having done no work, yeah. I felt the push and pull. Yes. Because the first question I asked was, well, what did he do? But that was a bad question if you asked a Black person. Yeah. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter what he did. He didn't yeah. deserve blah, 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 blah. You get what I'm saying? hundred percent was he fighting and these are like fair questions that right. a human who is acting as a human mm -hmm. watching what happened to another human would ask yes but it wasn't it wasn't allowed because the conversation had erupted into sides of others yeah yeah yes hundred percent well so, I can yeah because it's so painful like mm -hmm. we're not we're and especially like no one is dehumanizing people because they're bad and they're, you don't even know you're doing it. You don't even know you're doing it because it's more just like, you're just so in pain and so frustrated. Mm -hmm. And it's so, I can have so much compassion on that because it's you, well, you've been villainized and you've been dehumanized. So of course, like you, are feeling a sense of justice like yeah. I can totally understand that yes yeah. and if I were to describe it to you if I were to tell the story to someone who didn't know anything about it and I said a U.S. a, a, a U.S. citizen broke uh, reportedly broke the law and when the police went to arrest him they felt he was resisting they put his, their knee on his neck he kept saying he couldn't breathe they didn't listen and his body went limp and it was in broad daylight with people watching and recording on their phones. You'd be mortified. Yeah. yeah. But then for some people, as soon as they found out it was a black man, it was like, oh, okay. Mm. He must've done something wrong. He must've earned that. Mm. Really? And then for other yeah. people, it was, um, once you find out that the police officer was white, they always do this to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So again, it's, it's, it's me not letting you open your mouth and just assuming that I know everything about you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, because these labels are not humans, mm -hmm. a Republican is a moniker. It is right. not a human mm -hmm. in its, in and of itself. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, a label mm -hmm. in and of itself. And because I can just, slap d democrat 
on yeah. someone, it's easy for me to treat them or their belief or their mindset as if they were the label and not yeah. the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, know I'm, I feel, and I just, I do want to say this, that I do realize how very nuanced the conversation is and how very limited our language is. Yes. To adequately describe the depth of sentiment. I have yes. such a deep longing for us to grasp mm -hmm. how easily we can devalue a lot yes. because of what we deem their labels to be. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I'm getting back to two years ago, sitting down, listening to the sides, not agreeing with the violence that I saw erupting, not agreeing with, the, um, yes, maybe with the anger, but not the way that the anger was being expressed. Um, and kind of just sitting in the middle, like, I, I don't really know where I land in all of this. Mm -hmm. I don't really know what Jamila really thinks about all of this. And I went to try and find answers and, and read the books that everybody was kind of um, uh, uh, advising that we read. And I just couldn't get my hands on them. They were sold out at first. And then when they were back in print and, and in stock, I went to go find them and the link would break or um something mm. would happen with my credit card and you know I, I had the money to pay for it but it just wouldn't work and so finally w one last attempt through Amazon which I use all the times one click you know order system and I went to do it and it came back with this error message and I'm thinking what is this so finally something in me said ask ask the Lord Mm -hmm. you know and and we do we still have that relationship where I can talk to him and and perceive his answer and um and I got quiet and I and I just I just started to pray Lord why can't I I'm trying to learn I'm in a leadership position where people are looking to me for these answers mm -hmm. I need to know and he said I don't want you to learn from them mm. and when I started going on the journey with him you know he talked to me about how he sees people. Yeah. And you won't find in the Bible an instance where the Lord refers to people by their race. Right. Mm -hmm. We to this day, there's arguments about what the ancient Hebrews looked like because God didn't describe them based on skin color. Mm. Describe them by their family line, by their geographic origins, um, by their relationship to him. You know, mm -hmm. uh, David is a man after my own heart. Uh, yes. Abraham, Abraham um, uh, is, is uh, the father of many nations. God himself gave Abraham his name. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you have instances in the Bible where God changes different ones' names based on yeah. how he wants them to be described from that point forward. Mm -hmm. And so he started to teach me that way. And that's how I got to the point of realizing that there, this is an illusion. To think that there are sides is an illusion. Mm -hmm. That we really are in one space together. And it, it is very easy, or what should I say? It is immature even mm. to stand here at odds on sides. 
Yeah. It takes a lot of work, a lot of acceptance of self, a lot yes. of um, letting down the, the guards of self-protection and being right to finally land on there is a common ground here with this person who thinks different from me, this yep. person who does different from me, this person who looks different mm-hmm. from me. Mm-hmm. And I need to find it. And it was at that point that God started talking to me about his heart for each person. And you look throughout the Bible and there is not a major promise made that doesn't include a plan for all the nations being brought together. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a takeover. It's not mm. a, it's not a colonization. Right. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. not a going to India and saying, you guys are wrong. And here, let me tell you why. It right. Is, it is very much a erupt in your song, erupt in your expression, erupt in your um, natural propensities in response to God. Mm. So mm-hmm. You get to the end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and John is given a vision of the end of times. So he pens this vision, and one aspect of it is that all of the nations, he says, a multitude that could not be numbered of every nation, every tribe, every people, every tongue, mm-hmm. every language is mm-hmm. worshiping around the throne and they're all saying the same thing yeah we center around the same thing but in order for john to articulate that there were different nations tribes peoples and tongues they had to be distinct mm-hmm. enough for him to recognize they were distinct mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the issue that we have is right now, uh, a lot of people assume that the purpose of religion is uniformity, mm-hmm. but the purpose of religion is unity. Right. Yeah. So if he says that there were people of every nation, then they had to be dressed in a way that told you, okay, that person's Australian, that person's American, mm-hmm. that person's Panamanian, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They had to look different, different tribes. So mm-hmm. their their facial features, like Ella, you're of the Cooper tribe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You probably mm-hmm. look like a mix between your mom and your dad, or maybe yeah. you look more like one or the other. Mm-hmm. But everybody that's tied to your tribe has yeah. facial features and, mm-hmm. and features of their person that is very clear they're linked. Yeah. Then, okay, so that's the nation, the tribe, the people. Okay, that's that's as close as you're going to get in the Bible to skin color. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the Ethiopians, mm-hmm. the um, Indians, the yeah. um, um, Chinese, you know what I'm saying? Like the yeah. entire swath of peoples. Yeah. Right? And then every language, every mm-hmm. tongue. Mm-hmm. So while they were saying the same thing, they were doing it in their own uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To the point that John, who had not traveled yeah. to every nation, could distinguish every nation mm. surrounding the throne, unified around the same thing. Mm. And that's when it was like, oh, when the yeah. world erupts in a problem, mm-hmm. to me, that points to something that the Lord's after. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. right now the world has erupted in a problem of division and otherness. Yes, I know. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. I love hearing that. And I, it's such beautiful perspective to come back to because the, you know, you just have to go on social media and feel the division. <laughs> and so, um, and yeah, I think, we, I think there's a lot of dehumanization because we want to make sense of our pain. So it's easier to define and put things into categories. Our brain naturally does that when there's missing information. We just want to feel peace. So it's easier to villainize in some ways. And so I love like we're coming back to like, hey, like let's come up higher. Let's think from, let's come at this from a different angle. And I love that you took time to rumble with rumble with it through my process and through my faith the lord laid a foundation and then later on that's when he said okay now that you have that foundation now i now you can learn yeah what other people have been feeding on Mm -hmm. because this is gonna help you always remain grounded yes i taught you about yeah my love for people, the way that I've made them, which mm-hmm. is the same way I made you, mm-hmm. and that beauty being pervasive throughout all humanity, you're yeah. not going to lose that while you read others who have good nuggets. Like, I'm not saying that these books weren't great, but I'm saying that mm-hmm. they were not told, uh, totally complete in having all of the answers that we need because yeah. the, the base answer yeah to ending division is is to see each other and equalize each other in yes humanity. yeah Powerful. Um, and, and that, that again we started out with it but but having it come from within that, mm-hmm. that I get to restore your belonging to yourself first that I yeah. that I don't get to say well Ella because you are from Australia you don't get to talk about this topic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you don't get to mm-hmm. ask me questions I've heard mm-hmm. all of that kind of conversation go on in yeah the most recent years and yeah. to me no I'm going to restore to you the the, the honor mm-hmm. to have your own thinking around this to have your mm-hmm. own cultural um, yes. experience with it yes and that it that it is worth being heard and worth being experienced mm-hmm. and that I am not so fragile that I can't hear what you have to say and just right. still stay connected to you yes like that's an aspect of belonging too can we disagree yes. and still stay connected yes that's such a great point <laughs> it is like it is so courageous to lean in like it's that quote I think probably another Brene Brown because she's so brilliant but she's like people are hard to hate close up lean in (laughs) come on come on that's it yes yes it's so it's so um it costs us something it costs us something to really belong and um and to create belonging and I think because I'm a leader in a school and I think I'm always asking the question of what does it look like to create belonging? Because I think all our students that come in are going that place, like I see on social media, I'm going to belong there. That's where the creatives are. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to find my version of that TV show friends. 
in that yeah. place because that's <laughs> like you know what we don't what we don't feel when we're watching friends is how triggered they are all the time and how much yeah. they affect each other yeah. but we don't under realize how much belonging and being in community costs us something but it's the best sharpening if we lean in you know <laughs> we do it we yeah. do it all our lives it's called family yes yeah a hundred percent hundred percent yes it's always going to rub us you know into either it'll either wear us down to the point where we want to be isolated or it'll call us higher into deeper deeper connection you know and um and we'll wrap this up in a second but just because it's called the next brave thing it's about taking brave steps for breakthrough um what does courage look like for you? I know it's such a big question, maybe broad, <laughs> but but I'd love to know what does courage look like for you? In today's day and age, it is very, very courageous to be authentically yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is not an easy process because, of course, if everyone knew how to be authentic, everybody wants to be authentic. If everyone knew how to do it, then we wouldn't need half the memes that right (laughs) there to encourage us. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I I started to do this thing was years ago when I realized again the 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 propensity I had toward fitting in. Mm. I started to slow myself down. So very practically, just something in the environment's happening and it's calling for my reaction or my response instead of jumping right at on cue or at, uh, at the pace of the experience I would I would start in my head to say what do I want to do what do I really want to do not what is my brain telling me they expect me to do they need me to do the right even the right thing to do yeah what does Jamila want to do um I think and and what it did is it 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 changed everything about me it changed um the way that I spoke it changed the fact that I spoke Mm -hmm. I was the type of person that would sit in the room and I wanted to get all of the information first before I lent my voice to anything Mm -hmm. and um, I started to speak up more and, and it led to, I was at that point working in human resources in a school district in Washington and, um, and was given the responsibility to lead an entire department. And I was leading it like my predecessor did, but it was killing me. <laughs> mm, I can relate to this. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is an asinine process. I cannot replicate this and live sane. (laughs) I was leaving the office at 10 PM, that sort of thing. And it was just not sustainable. And so I remember I got to the point where I was so angry because despite my best efforts, the person, my predecessor still worked in the office with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they would give input and constantly criticize what I was doing. And it just dawned on me, no matter what I do, it's not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. So instead of trying to do it the way this person needs it done or whatever, 
I'm going to have to say something. So I came to that understanding months before I actually developed the courage to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. staying in the office and having the janitor kick me out when he needed to turn the alarm on <laughs> at night. Wow. For me to get irate enough, I went home that night. I was so angry because I was going to come in the morning and still not have it done and, and then have the next day's t- uh, tasks piled on top of yesterday's unfinished ones Mm. and I got home and I was so angry I was talking to Rich and he was like well what are you gonna do Mm. and then it was like oh what do I want to do Mm. what do I want to do well I want to tell her she can take this process and stuff but I didn't do that (laughs) (laughs) I went I went and I said I need to revamp this whole process. I need to do it my way. I need, mm-hmm. I need to be able to tell her that my way is literally going to be better than hers. Mm-hmm. I have to, I just have to do, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And so I sat up at night, I came up with a graphic. I, I came up with a presentation. I called my, that manager and then several others in and I was like we cannot continue like this this is how it's impacting the team this is how it's impacting our principals and our managers this is how it's impacting our process and here's my solution here's my proposal um and that was like one of the first major ways that I started realizing the the gold of that question what do I want to do yes um, yes. And, and then showing up authentically. And so then they knew me to be the person that would tell them the truth. Yeah. They knew me to be the person that they could count on to really show up and not be so afraid of being accepted or fitting in that yeah. they were going to get a, a, an answer that was the best that I could give. Yeah. And then believing that my authentic self is the best that I can give at all times. Mm. You wow. Know, so I think, especially right now, we need the best that people can give. Yes. We need the best thinkers solving our problems. We right. need the, the, the most kind responses, which I think is our authentic self. I think we are living when we are being loving. Yes. Yes. You know? So I, I think, you know, to answer the question, I, I think that's what we need. And I think that's how you exhibit courage is to bring the best that you can. Hundred percent. That's such a brilliant answer because you gave yourself a voice when you like. That's the power. We're waiting for someone else to give us a voice. When you, that's a great example of you giving yourself a voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so courageous. I love that, and it's it so scary. relatable. <laughs> yeah. I was I was two months into the job, and I was basically mm-hmm. going in to say I can't do the job. Yeah, which is so I, vulnerable. I yeah, I had to come to grips with that. I can't do this job. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to communicate it in a way that they could grasp and see that I do have a solution. But if you need me to do this job, then I need to. I, I need to tell you I can't. Mm-hmm. That takes courage. Yeah, and it's trusting that you are good. Like <laughs> you know, like back to the special thing. I am special, and. and- I- Yes. <laughs> and I'm, I'm worthy of being heard. And the way that I see yes. the world deserves its place, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so powerful. 
Wow. Well, you've just shared so many gold nuggets, so many wisdom nuggets today, and I'm so grateful for you to come on the podcast today. So thank you so much for joining me and have to have you on in the future. for having me it's been a blast and it always is with you so I'm really grateful for, yeah. for the invitation yeah thanks Jamila all right thanks guys